0: Welcome to Straight from the Author, a podcast that gives you a front row seat as leading authors discuss their books at a Warren Public Library. My name's Annie, I'm a public librarian in the Gross Point area, and I'm also a writer. And uh, so this is my first published book. So uh, it's been out about a year, and as I've navigated these two roles, the librarian and the writer, which are not dissimilar, I've noticed something, and that is that people have started just now referring to me as well-read. I've been a librarian for a decade. Nobody's ever called me that, but um, <laughs> since I've published a book, a um, uh, few people have referred to me that way. But here's the thing, I'm, I'm not that well-read. I love to read. I prefer it to most other activities, but I read voraciously, not strategically. Uh, I don't know how much of the literary canon I've finished. I've never read Madame Bovary. I'm never going to read Infinite Jest. But I love to read because my parents loved to read, and my four sisters and brothers um, loved to read, and I grew up sort of on their laps reading the books they loved. But they weren't quoting Shakespeare. My mom loved Irma Bombeck. My dad read big books of baseball statistics and Mitch Album. Um, I queried my four older siblings on what their favorite books of all time were, and they are To Kill a Mockingbird, Anne of Green Gables, Biography of Charles Manson, and Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut. (laughs) So there's a wide swath of taste in my family, and I became a reader by reading their castaways and library book sale bags. Um, We actually didn't have a library in my small town. We had to drive to the next town over. Um, and that's the difference between a librarian and a book critic, or a librarian and an algorithm, or an awards winners list. Librarians want to give you the book that you want to read, that you're, you're going to absolutely love. Not what you should love or what a machine thinks you might want to buy. Um, I recommend a few titles in this book that are my favorites, and I would love it if you would go to the library or the bookstore and pick up one of these books and it was your new favorite book, too. <coughs> but I'd love it just as much if you went to the bookshelf and the one next to the one I recommended looked better and you pulled that one off and it was your, your new favorite book. Um, as a librarian, I just want to further a dedication to reading as a whole, not one specific book. But as a writer, right now, I'm going to try to sell you on this one specific <laughs> book. <laughs> um, so this is a book of Love letters and breakup notes to books that I've experienced in my life. It started out as a book of all breakup letters and Dear John letters Um, And then I added the love letters in sort of as I went filling out the book Um, a Lot of the breakup letters stemmed from the fact that I'm a librarian and we not only curate the collection by buying the books We have to discard books from the collection too if they become out of date or gross um, we have to get rid of them. So the first letter I'm going to read is um, a letter to this book that I'm really fond of, uh, but I had to get rid of from the collection. And the book is called Corns a Poppin'. It was like a 200 different recipes for popcorn. <laughs> Dear Corns a Poppin', hey Corne, you're a great little book. You've got a snazzy title. You're dedicated to someone's noni, which is sweet. It's obvious that you love popcorn and that you've spent a lot, a lot of time coming up with popcorn recipes for every holiday, even Flag Day. You are delightful and you're going to make a swell book for someone else at the used book sale. I love popcorn. I guess I just don't love popcorn, but it's sort of all you ever want to talk about. Popcorn fondue, popcorn castles, popcorn lollipops and snowmen, popcorn Easter baskets filled with popcorn Easter eggs. On the 4th of July, you suggested shooting popcorn out of cannons. When I mentioned that my father was watching his weight, you recommended your beefy popcorn alternate for dieting dads. I don't know what kind of diet books you've been shelved next to, Corny, but most of them frown upon sticking, throwing a stick of butter and a jar of beef jerky on top of a bowl of, you guessed it, popcorn. (laughs) Look, you've been here since 1976. That's a long time. (laughs) Not as long as popcorn, which you informed me may have been at the first Thanksgiving dinner, but long enough that I'm confident everyone in town who's shown interest in making popcorn cornucopias has had their shot. It might be nice going somewhere different. Maybe someone's noni will pick you up at the book sale and take you home. Or maybe you'll just have some alone time on the table to think about other snacks. (laughs) Peanuts, maybe, or just regular corn if you're taking baby steps. All right, corny, I better be going. Stay amazing, Annie. (laughs) Um, Now I'll read an example of a, I guess it's a love letter. Has anybody read any of the Big Stone Gap series by Adriana Trigiani? It's a series that takes place in Appalachia, and the the first one is very sweet, and I read it and fell in love with it, and my first thought when I finished was, oh, I hope she doesn't mess it up in the second one. So um, this is a letter to that series. Dear Big Stone Gap series, where have you been all my life? In the hands of other readers is where, and I've helped put you there. I've sung your praises to patrons, checking out Loretta Lynn music and Lorna Landvik books, and other artists who don't even have double L's in their names. (laughs) You're a series with a strong and lovable heroine named Ave Maria. You take place in Appalachia in the 1970s, so people who like historical fiction will enjoy your cultural details, but people who aren't that into history will still find you palatable. You're a good balance of funny and sad. All of this I knew from other librarians and patrons who enjoyed you, but I never read you myself. Then last month, I saw someone looking at the first of your four, Big Stone Gap. The patron was crouched on a stool next to your shelf. She had obviously been browsing and been so taken with you that she couldn't stop reading. I knew because she had the look on her face. The look people get when their brains are so engrossed that they don't care about their outward appearance. Because they're not out in public anymore, they're in whatever world they're reading about. It's beautiful. This is not to be confused with that look, which is the look on people's faces when they're browsing the Internet and not in control of their outward appearance. If you think I'm making this up, visit any space where there are more than five computers in a row. It will dismantle your faith in humankind. It looks like a tribute to Daniel Stern's facial expressions from Home Alone. (laughs) Anyway, I saw the look and I wanted it. So I put Big Stone Gap on hold, and when you came in last week, my own world stopped. I mean, womp. I fell into your small mining town and didn't surface again until Jack and baby Etta were sitting on the porch gazing at the moon. You said that when we get what we want, time stops, and you were right. I fell in love with Ave Maria, a book lover and a daydreamer. Her character is more realistic than I had expected. The everyday loneliness she feels as the town's spinster is palpable. And your other characters are just as lovable. Normally, I resent oversexed librarians in literature. I think it's overdone. But I found Iva Lou's hunger for life endearing. And Theodore and Fleda and Pearl, I wanted them to be my friends. I was surprised at the originality of your story. It's not just a lady that's getting up there finds a man. Ave finds her secret self first, the woman she always wanted to be. She finds family and friendship and she sleeps for seven days at one point, which honestly, as the mother of a toddler, was more arousing to me than the romantic parts. Now that I'm hooked, I've got to read the other three in your series. So I have to ask, are you in it for the long haul? Am I going to ruin this experience by going further? When I pick up Big Cherry Holler, will Jack and Ave still be in love? I worry about those strong and silent men. They're not always silent because they're thinking. What if he's just dumb? (laughs) <laughs> what about Italy and Ave's father? Did Pearl go to college? Can I lose marriage last? Part of me wants to know, but part of me wants to preserve them the way they are right there in Big Stone Gap. I came over here to tell you guys, please don't let me down. We're in it together now. Sally Forth, Annie. Um, before I read this next one, I'll just say I won't judge any of you for enjoying Fifty Shades of Grey. But I don't want anyone else to recommend it to me. <laughs> um, Dear, Sh- Dear Gray, 50 Shades of Gray, as told by Christian, which was, came out after the series. It's like a repeat told from the man's perspective. Dear Gray, why do people keep asking me if I've read you? Aren't you the same book as the last one of you I said I didn't want to read? But nobody cares. They can't get enough of you. They read your first version and they'll read you. And in between it's like they have no desire to read anything else. It's like without you they would rather just be illiterate. It makes me want to shake readers and scream, "You're surrounded by great literature and this isn't even that dirty." I want to clothe Pablo Neruda poetry with your jacket and hand that out to patrons. And I don't care what you think, Gray. Your silk tie silk tie sweet talk or whatever it is you're saying to get on top of people's nightstands isn't going to work on me. Today yet another person asked me about you. This really happened. Have you heard of a book called Grey? It's like Fifty Shades of Grey but from a Christian's perspective? Yes, this woman, the character's name is Christian and it's from his perspective she thought it was a remake of the book told with a Christian angle. So on on top of having to politely smile when people say to me, you're bookish, I've got one you'll love, now I have to explain to a little lady who only reads Karen Kingsbury novels what erotica is and watch her pretend to put it back and then pick it back up again when I'm pretending not to look. (laughs) You made me say erotica to an old lady, Gray. I'm going to hate you forever for that. I'm putting you out on the curb where you belong, and I hope someone drops you in the bubble bath they're sitting in when they read you. You're nasty, Annie. (laughs) Um, What was the next one I had in mind? Oh, I've never read this one before, but it's Halloween time. I I was going to print out a picture of the cover, um, but I forgot. But um, there's a chapter book that I never read when I was little called Benicula. It's about a vampire bunny terrified me, so I never read it. Then I picked it back up as an adult and found it wasn't so scary after all. (laughs) Dear Benicula, like everything else that the youngest of five children receives, you were a hand-me-down. Two of my three older sisters read you, then my big brother. Eventually, one of them, probably when bribed with the promise of a brand new book from the Scholastic catalog, which I never got, threw you at my face while they whizzed by, on their new bike, in their new Kmart jeans, and I was grateful. I took such pride in you that I marked you with my Viola Swamp is Watching You stamp on your inside cover, and as you can tell from the blobby schmear on your title page, I slammed you shut before the ink even had time to dry, because you scared the bejesus out of me. First, you're about a vampire bunny. Second, your other main characters are a dog and a cat and I was terrified of both animals when I was a child. In addition to having no earthly possessions, I was attacked by a tabby as a toddler and nearly sacrificed my eye, so I was basically feral. So your cover was off-putting to say the least, with terrifying pets and that vampire bunny's red eyes and fangs. Then the editor's note claimed that you were a true story. It was too much for my tender soul. I shoved you under my bed, an offering to the alligators and at-large unsolved mystery suspects I knew for a fact to be living there, and went back to my sideways stories from Wayside School. It wasn't until I was an adult that I found you again at my parents' house and realized I had finally gained the courage to open you back up. It took me 22 years, Benicula, but I am ready now. I'm ready for us. Of course, if anyone had told me, which of course they wouldn't have because they were too busy going to concerts I wasn't allowed at and buying candy necklaces that only came in four packs, that the only thing your vampire bunny sucks is juice from fruits and vegetables, not blood from young girls, I could have given you a whirl when I was at the appropriate reading level. I'm sorry it took me so long to come around, but I'm here now. And that counts for something, right? Let's do this. Your cat character is declawed, right? Love your final owner, Annie. Something I loved as a kid that did not scare me was Beauty and the Beast it was my very favorite Disney movie. Um, and this is a letter to that golden library from the cartoon version of Beauty and the Beast. Dear Magnificent Library featured in Beauty and the Beast, Belle is my favorite Disney heroine. For starters, she's the only princess who spends the majority of the movie with her hair in a dowdy ponytail because she could care less. She's just trying to finish her book. In my opinion, the premise of the film is people constantly interrupt Belle while she's trying to read. She finally marries the the Beast because she's a total book digger and wisely realizes that the castle is big enough for her to hide in one wing, reading in silence and ordering that sniveling Cogsworth to bring her snacks and tell the bee she's got period cramps and is not to be disturbed. <laughs> At the end of the movie, she's like, this twirling around can end any time. You guys know where the door is? I've got a book list to start. <laughs> but the main reason she's my favorite is you, library. You're so golden and glorious, towering over everyone with your endless rows of books. To be Belle for a day, The closest I get is the opening shift at the public library, which, on the right morning, can vaguely resemble the first scene in the movie where Belle is walking into her provincial town. At first, it's all sunshine and birds chirping. I've had my coffee, and I'm thinking about making a fun If You Like Who Diaz bookmark. But then, like Belle, I keep getting stopped by charming townspeople. Except instead of singing about how pretty but alarmingly literate I am, they're yelling at me because Joel Lastine's become a better you is check- checked out. Or asking me to describe how to write a cursive cue over the phone. Or threatening to strangle another char- charming townsperson with their backpack straps. <laughs> Main reasons for violent threats between patrons at the public library are, someone's been on the computer too long, political arguments, and disagreements about whether pit bulls are sweet little crit- critters or face eating monsters. You actually might be part of the reason I took this job. Because of you, I thought spending time in libraries was all wheelie ladders and silent sustained reading time. And though I've since discovered that library patrons can be mean and coarse and unrefined, just as often they are dear and so unsure. When it's tempting to roll my eyes or put the librarian has stepped away sign out and pretend to be making copies but really just finish my chapter, Instead, I put on my best Disney princess smile and forge ahead, because that's what Belle did. She suffered through Gaston putting his filthy boots on the book she was reading, and she hugged Beast, even though he probably smelled like wet dog. In the end, she was rewarded with you. And yeah, true love and living in a castle and whatever. That's the dream. I'll keep wishing on a star that someday my fantasy library will come. Until then, Annie. Um, I read, I've been asked to read this on a couple podcasts, um, and I think maybe it's because it makes people feel better about the books they haven't read, but it's a a letter to Anna Karenina. (laughs) Dear Anna Karenina, I feel like I don't even know you. Maybe that's why I find it so difficult to say I've been seeing someone else. Geez, I'm sorry. I know I've led you on. I asked my friends about you. I checked you out more than once. You came home with me. You stayed for a month. But while you were on my coffee table, looking so earnest and so long, Eleanor in Park by Rainbow Rowell was in my bed. And then some Megan Abbott mysteries. And then Dolly Parton's autobiography. Twice. I tried, I really did. Once I even picked you up and held you. I kept you on my lap while I watched The Bachelor. And you made me feel better, like I wasn't just some faceless citizen of Bachelor Nation. I read Russian literature, I thought to myself. I'm just smugly observing this show until the next commercial, when I will begin my scholarly analysis. But then I kept watching through after the final rose. Anna, I don't have one unkind word to say about you, because I haven't read you. Perhaps it's just not our time. There will come a day, probably, when I get a hankering for a bleak 864-page novel translated from Russian, but until then, back to the shelves you go. I tried to look up goodbye in Russian, but it's really hard to spell, so just goodbye, Annie. (laughs) Um, I'm expecting another child in March, and so I find myself saying a lot when books come up at I haven't read yet, but that I always thought I'd go around, I keep saying, well, if I'm on bed rest, I'll read it. (laughs) And that's Anna Karenina, that's one of those books. If I have to go on bed rest, I'll read Anna Karenina. Um, For the last um, letter, I'll read the title essay, which is a letter to Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. My editor um, wanted to pick uh, one of the letters as the title to the book so that people would know the book was about letters. And we chose this one because It's a book about the freedom to read um, and about um, the freedom of information, and Ray Bradbury actually wrote it in a library in the basement of the UCLA. His kids were driving him crazy, so he um, went to the library and typed out um, this novel. Dear Fahrenheit 451, don't ever change and stay here with us always. You were created in a library and I'm comforted by the fact that you'll remain on library shelves around the world. If we ever get to a point when you're not included in the core of a book collection, we're all screwed. Like, our civilization is flinging itself to pieces, stand back from the centrifuge type screwed. Some days the world feels closer to that than I'm comfortable with. Be glad that you have a voice but no eyes. Since 1953, the talking walls are bigger and louder than ever. The modern-day firefighters are armed not with kerosene, but with snarky internet memes, reality TV, and the ability to simultaneously see more and less of the world around them. I shouldn't even tell you, but there are people who don't believe libraries are necessary anymore. A bunch of Captain Beatys. It's frightening. Oh, I know what you'll say. We need to be really bothered once in a while. How long is it since you were really bothered about something important, about something real? And you're right. That old nudge ignorance plotting too close behind with its hot, dumb breath on your neck can help up your game. The library is a good gig to have, convincing people that I want to help them with literally whatever they want to learn about, helping create more examiners, critics, and knowers. But it's harder than it might seem to get people to listen. Maybe it would be easier if we were allowed to yell. The public librarian has been typecast. We're supposed to whisper and shush demand silence, when in reality we work our butts off trying to help people speak up. Maybe it seems safer for us to whisper, because maybe if we could shout, it would shake the walls down. For now, I'll take it step by step. Test prep book, by car repair manual, by can you help me apply for this job? One phone number for a shelter, one kid psyched to be handed the next Percy Jackson book, one woman with no one to lean on, who needs a divorce guide, a new email account, a small business for dummies, and an encouraging smile. One book, one patron, one desk shift at a time. I'll be quiet about it like you, just sitting on the shelf waiting for someone to come to you with a question she or he doesn't quite know how to ask yet. In the silence, our stage whisper might carry, right? But don't ever go. We're in this business together. It was a pleasure to learn, Annie. from the author has been brought to you by MyWarn. To hear more podcasts like this, visit MyWarn.org. Again, that's miwarn.org.